Welcome to another installation of the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Dagnall. I'm joined today by Jay, Paul, Anne, and Tiago. Thank you for joining me. Uh, this podcast is to discuss implementing zero trust. This is aimed at professionals in the sector that may not have a good understanding of zero trust, might not know what it is, or even for businesses that want to understand a bit more how it can help them and see how they could implement it themselves. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Before we delve deeper into the topic, I'll work around the room with some introductions. So, Jay, if you could introduce yourself a bit about what you do. Okay, so yeah, my name is Jay Tilson. Um, I work for a company called Axis Security. We've recently been acquired by HPE Aruba. Um, so, Axis are an SSE vendor. Um, so, kind of built on the, the elements of zero trust. And um, we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, but I've only been really on the vendor side for about a year. Um, pre-joining a vendor, I was a customer, basically. I, I looked after global enterprise kind of architecture teams, um, a little bit of security, um, and, and kind of walked that path for quite a while. Great. And uh, Paul, if you could introduce yourself. Yeah. Hi, Paul Simmons. I'm the CEO of the Global Identity Foundation, also a director of Cloud Security Alliance Europe. Uh, prior to that, uh, I was a serial global CISO for people like AstraZeneca, ICI, Motorola. And Tiago. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Tiago Rosado. Uh, I've worked in information security in a lot of places uh, throughout these last 25 years or so, from software, penetration testing companies, um, virtual data rooms. Pretty much I've dealt with most of those across. Great. And uh, Ad? Hello, my name is Anne Coulomb, and I currently work at AWS as a Principal Security Advisor. And this is a mix of background. It's both security and privacy um, on a worldwide basis, um, and currently thinking or working a little bit more on HIPAA. But from the perspective of um, background, I certainly have worked in implementing some of the original or early days of Zero Trust. Um, from a manufacturer side, and now I'm on the vendor side, fully cloud. So interesting discussion today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a great uh, group of uh, people to discuss this. So uh, now we're all introduced, I'll uh, move on to the topic of focus. Um, as usual, I'll work around the room, sort of asking the questions that uh, you guys have posed to me. And also we've had a couple of people uh, messaging on LinkedIn and stuff to ask questions directly to you guys. Um, so I guess we'll start with something good, which you guys will probably consider quite basic, but for those who are listening to us at a more junior level, um, basically, what what is zero trust and, and what is it not? And Jay, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I didn't know what zero trust was until about a year ago. Um, and I'm not sure I'd still truly know what it is because there's very different definitions. Um, but I kind of started walking a path in, in a global manufacturer of wanting to remove users access directly to the network i felt that that was 
was problematic for things like ransomware and insider threat. So I started to look at things like micro-segmentation and different remote access technologies to kind of connect my users just to applications. And then when I ended up on the vendor side, um, we have a podcast as well. So we, we reached out to um, a number of people, including Paul and, and John Kindervag and a few others. And I asked exactly this question. Um, for me, it's about never trust, always verify. So it's about really just connecting users just to the things they have access to, which is completely different than we've probably, all of us have spent 25 years or plus of our years doing. Um, but for me, that's what it's about. It's a strategy. It's going to be a cultural change. Um, I'd like to say what I believe it's not, and I believe it's not a product. I believe you can buy products that may well help you on the journey, but you're not going to just wave your magic wand to get a single product and ta-da, you've got zero trust. Um, but I definitely believe it's a strategy. Yeah, and all uh, any, anything to add on that, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think the one from me is don't get hang up on the term. Um, it's a, you know... Realistically, it's a bit of a BS term. Um, and if you talk to, you know, vendor, you can prove that yourself. Just walk around RSA next week and talk to everyone who's got zero trust on their stand and they will try to sell you something 100% totally diametrically opposite each other, um, which means no one really knows what it means. And yeah, I agree with Jay. It's forget about the products, forget about the hype. It is about how you secure your business better by doing what we should have been doing 20 years ago, which is actually verifying everything that tries to access our systems. That's that systems, you know, that's all entities, people, devices, organizations, code, the entire lot. We need to verify, do the job properly. Tiago, anything, anything to add? I think in just a simplistic way is um, the zero trust is about explicit permission or the explicit access instead of the implicit one as uh, Paul and Jay already went through it. I think I would just add a layer around data because uh, you will see around our discussion the levels of data and picking up on, on the subject of data privacy that Anne pitched. Um, they're very intertwined and we need to account for those. It's not just about accessing the services is also what is the level of data access that you have? What is the data that you are consuming? So uh, recently I was working with a company that uh, have a very good uh, approach to API security. Um, and one of the things that people, for example, do not do is securing all the information that comes from your partners. And I think uh, you will see, if not already, quite a substantial amount of attacks coming through that way. So use the smaller uh, suppliers or your supply chain to inject information then to attack you but i'll leave that for a, a later discussion yeah I'd, I'd agree that i've i've heard similar um from free podcast calls and stuff people have sort of said that third party um security is, is one of the things that they sort of worry about the most i think and have a bit of fear of um and any, anything to add on the back of what the guys have said Sure. Um, I think maybe in combining all three of the descriptions and definitions of, of the other panelists, one of the things that um, we really have to remember is um, it's a model or it's a framework. Um, it won't give you all the answers. Um, but if I can take maybe one sentence here, thinking that zero trust is a security model, it's centered really on the idea that 
the access to your data shouldn't be only based on network location. It really does require strong systems. And part of that is fine-grained access control. And really, from where I come from, if your access control is solid, then you have a much better security posture. If it's not quite as solid, then that's something that um, really should be worked on. But again, to to paraphrase some of the other uh, panelists, it's not a one-size-fits-all, and it's not just one solution. It's the combination of solutions that really fit the customer's needs. And that is an evolution, and I know we'll talk about that in a moment, uh, but it is really on a continuum. But don't forget those users. Don't forget that IAM. That, to me, is really the basic idea. Yeah, I agree. And uh, obviously, we'll go into um, briefly, like you said, about the sort of the business side of things. Um, Paul, I'll come to you next with a number of businesses sort of suffering cyber attacks this year. It's obviously important that businesses have a strong focus on zero trust. Um, I think to mind, and this this is more less less of a business one, but even just in the news recently, that obviously in America that the uh, the the leaks that came out. Um, and obviously that they've got a little bit of a different outlook of you know um more people in the us for example have uh access to high sensitive data and security documents whereas in the uk it can sort of be on a need-to-know basis um but i guess from a business point of view what what are the benefits for businesses looking into implementing zero trust and where do they start their journey i, I suppose the key one for me is aligning your business access requirements with your IT access requirements because quite often the two are totally divorced. So if you go out to the business and say, who should access this system under these circumstances or this data or a combination of system and data under what circumstances, they will give you a business explanation and then the IT department will go, yeah, but we can't deliver that because we don't have that level of information. We don't have that level of granularity. Um, and to a certain extent, it goes back to, to what Anne brought up, which is, you know, sort your identity and access management system. But in today's business, it's not just about your identity and access management system. It's about all those other people that you do business with, from your joint ventures, from your frenemies, from, you know, third parties that you outsource to and other bits and pieces. And the problem is that most businesses out there think in terms of identity and access management as their staff on their identity and access management system and unfortunately that doesn't cut it to deliver the business requirement of access management which is what we need to do for zero trust yeah and uh Thiago, anything to, anything to add to what paul said there yeah I'll, I'll just pick up on paul but i think if you want to create um a jumpstart platform, business need to have a look at, uh, I would say, four four pillars for zero trust. One, of course, would be network access controls. What are the machines or what is the identity of the machines that is connected to your network or to your systems, regardless if you're talking about um, traditional on-prem hybrid models or um, cloud ones, because that, that is key. We, without an understanding what are the machines and, of course, the users, then there is a problem. As Paul and, uh, and Anne also mentioned in terms of IAM, the business needs to provide the necessary information to the IT and to the security people. If you don't have a really strong role-based access model in place, that is one of the key things. You will never have a proper zero trust implemented. So 
to the business out there, to all the parts of the business from the top to the bottom, please work with your IT people, work with your security people, provide them the necessary information, use an active directory, an LDAP, whatever you're using out there, the, the octas and whatever uh, solutions you're using to manage users. And please make sure that you create uh, groups and properly um, set up groups. Because without that, then just becomes too messy, regardless of your size. It will be as messy if you have 200 people or if you have 200,000. Of course, the scale of 200,000 will get more complex, but still. Yeah. And data access. And this is key. Even if you have access to the systems, even if you need to have access um, to a network, the level of data that you need to access is 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 crucial. Good example, you work in the bank, you need to provide uh, support um, to your clients. Does the people that work in customer uh, service need to have your full account details, have access to all the details in there? And you'll see that this in telecoms, you'll see this all over. And you also see that usually these are the ones that will carry the most problems in terms of data breaches and information being exfiltrated and scams and whatnot. So if you want to pick up on that journey of the conversation, I would start on, on these four pillars here. And and yeah, and if you've got anything to add there. <laughs> sure. I, I'm actually going to suggest we go to an even more foundational or fundamental idea. What's your use case? If the use case is still a little fuzzy or can't really be defined, then it's almost impossible for the business and IT to really talk to each other and come up with a strategy that's going to work because technology is there really to help your business need. So whether you're doing mobility or maybe you're doing digital transformation, really sit down and think through what are you trying to achieve? Who needs to achieve it with you and what kind of access should they have? And to your point earlier, Morgan, the the infrastructure or the regulatory environment differs between different countries. And I think it's a perception that some geographies may or may not be quite as attuned to that. You really have to take it in the perspective of what the company is doing. So AKA your customer, what geography or geographies with an S and what is the most important, you know, what's the risk, what's the the risk profile, all of those types of things. So just start with your use case, figuring out what you're really trying to achieve and then measure how you can put in all of these um, systems, the elements and really do it properly. And Jay, raise your hand there. Yeah. yeah, so I want to approach the first part of your question about benefits in a slightly different way. So you, you've asked what are the benefits of, of doing zero trust? I'd consider what are the risks if you don't? Because we all have to acknowledge that the way we've done things for the past 20 to 25 years doesn't work. And if it did work, there would be no ransomware, there would be no insider threat. So we, we know it doesn't work. We, and 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 you are seeing companies moving towards zero trust and they are more protected. I'm not saying it's 100%, but they are certainly more protected. The companies that have yet to move are the ones we see in the news getting compromised. So really, you should consider the risks. What are the risks of not moving? And I, and I like what Anne said about the use case. So so for me, the second part of your question was, where should people start? And, and John Kindervag said to me when I interviewed him, it's not where to start, it's that you start. 
right? So it's critical that you start the journey because the more we wait around, waiting to decide where to start, the more likelihood you've got of the risk and being compromised. So for me, I think you really need to get the foundations right. And that's not just IT foundations. I, I've spent 20 odd years working in companies where I didn't even know people had left. I didn't know people had joined. So there's no point in having a robust security system and only connecting person A to application B if person A left six months ago and you haven't shut down their account. So to, to go on to what Paul said about identity, I think that's pretty critical. And I'd like to say it's the first thing you do but actually, I think maybe it's the second thing you do once you've got your house in order. So you actually get your house in order, then come up with some kind of identity method. And that should include your third parties, your contractors, and everybody that needs access to your systems. Then come up with what are your most risky use cases, which are the ones that are going to be most critical for you. Maybe the ones that are going to hit your share price or the ones that are going to have the biggest loss of data because you're not going to be able to do everything at once. Look at those use cases, mark them against risk, and take that first step. Because if you just sit there and wait, unfortunately, you're likely to be too late. You will be compromised, and then you'll be sitting in front of your board going, I'm sorry I took an extra six months. Um, but that's just my my two pence worth. Of course, and uh, or you raise your hand first, so I'll, I'll go to you. Yeah, yeah. I don't... <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with, with John Gundervag here, is, is start. Whatever you do, start. Um, that's the critical thing. But there's there's a couple of other bits in there. And, and one is this word risk that goes in there. And this is, you know, not only the risk of not starting, but it's also about business risk. So, you know, one of the, one of the problems I have, um, especially if you're an American listening to this, um, is if you look at the NIST definition, which says trust, you know, verify everything. And you know, when I left AstraZeneca, I had 137,000 devices connected to my internal network. Um, I'm sure there are an awful lot more because that was just stuff we owned, let alone the bring your own, you know, bring your own stuff. The reality is that that is a boil the ocean type of problem, which stops people starting this. So, yeah, absolutely. Identify the important ones but also identify the risk associated with what you're trying to do. So, you know, people people turn around to me and say, we've got to do, you know, verify everything at the network level, at the application level, and this, that, and the other. I'm going, well, what about the web server that has the lunchtime menu for the canteen? What's the access, what's the, A, what's the risk? Because it's only got the lunchtime menu. Um, and more importantly, what are the access requirements? And the answer is, actually, I not only want everyone on Active Directory that I work for me, I want all my visitors to be able to access my third parties, my contractors, my security guards, my cleaners, my gardeners who aren't on Active Directory to be able to access it. And we get hung up on this zero trust equals verify everything. And the answer is zero trust for me says verify everything based on risk. And risk may be we don't verify everything or we verify very little. And we seem to forget that with this sort of boil the ocean approach. Yeah, so it's better to keep it simple rather than complex, I guess, in, in the long run, especially for those bigger companies. Uh, Tiago, you, you wanted to add on there? Yeah, I would just start saying that companies need to start to being proactive. Uh, we all know that when you're dealing with, um, as Paul mentioned in his examples in JNN, 
you are dealing with older companies that have a massive estate out there. Pick up the new projects that you have, the new softwares that you have, the new projects that are going out, and start working with the security team from the beginning. Because that is where not only you gain the trust, but also when you start having more experience across. The security team will not be able to fix all your problems for you. All of this is not just a security problem, it's not just an IT problem, it's a company problem. And until the companies or the organizations see this as the organizational problem, not just an IT or security problem, then you still have a pickle in there because your managers will not go up front saying, we are going to do this. How can we better implement this and not creating security or uh, technical depth uh, for us to deal with later? Picking up on the risk. So if you reduce the risk in the beginning, that will be a great step, not in just in terms of security, but also in terms of cost for the business. Uh, recently, I had a, in another conversation, another podcast about how you can actually drive um, business better with the security and data privacy by design and by default. And if you go and, and if we can, we can actually dive into this because I think everything is interconnected here. Uh, the amount of money that companies have already spent with GDPR and hopefully the soon-to-be uh, U.S. Um, data privacy law, very close to CPRA, hopefully, um, it will be massive. The sector, the Securities and Exchange Commission, is already saying you need to beef up your game. DORA in, in Europe for the financial systems, you need to beef up your game. Every single part of the world are trying to raise the bar upwards. And this now is uh, legal requirements. At the same time, your insurers will not cover you. There are already been conversations about not being able to cover acts of war or state-sponsored attacks uh, to your systems. That that will be interesting to see the attribution around that. But again, that's another conversation. Uh, but all this um, will come into place. Friends do not allow you to uh, anymore to and claim your cyber insurance unless you report it to the government. There's a lot of things going on for um, doing things right uh, and starting now. Adan, you raise your hand up. Sure. I, listening to, to everyone, what we're really talking about here is understanding your own business as a customer, being able to prioritize your use cases. And one of the things that I'd add is, Zero Trust has a lot of flexibility, many aspects and elements of security. And with those benefits also comes some power. And the power really is to focus it on the right things. And so if you focus it on where you really need it for your business, um, at least from my viewpoint, that's really where you garnish you know, the, the best bang for your dollar in terms of the business. And I would add that in many geographies, there, the regulatory environment is changing. If you look at the U.S., at the board level now, um, you really are necessitating someone who understands cybersecurity. So that type of talk is now elevating itself within the organization. Well, one of the ways of addressing this is to get started on zero trust. So to Jay's point earlier, it's better to start now. Don't wait until everything's perfect because it never will be perfect. And so this is a journey. Start the journey. See where it takes you. Maybe you start with one use case. Maybe you start with a department 
And certainly remember that it's not just your company, it's third parties, it's fourth parties, it's anyone else that you do interface with. And so those are just important elements. And yeah, that's, that's sort of, you guys have already encompassed it. I was going to basically ask for the considerations that businesses should sort of um, think about. And I think we've gone over that. But uh, Jay, if you've got your hand raised there, if you wanted to add in, uh, you're on mute, Jay. Yeah, I'm going to do that at least once on this, right? Um, Sorry, it gets edited out. It'll be fine. <laughs> I, I think for me, there's a number of considerations, and I think we've kind of touched on them. I, I think this isn't a security or an IT problem. This this is wider than that, and this is about education, and this is about education of of all shapes and sizes, cultures, ages, because we fundamentally need to look at security across to, across the globe in a very different way. It, it's been it's not uncommon for the security team to be seen as the blocker. So that we need to go through an education process where people understand the why. If people understand why we are doing certain things, then they're more likely to buy in. I mean, we've all run tabletop exercises. We've all sent out phishing emails. And we all know they fundamentally don't work. Every year, the same number of people or the same percentage of people or even the same people fail the same exercise. So that doesn't work. They don't see any value in it. You get a refresher every year. And it, and those ways aren't working. So firstly, we need to look at changing the way we educate. And therefore, in my mind, that would change the culture of businesses. If, if you have a security mindset within the business it's a lot easier i also think zero trust is a bit of a negative term because we're never going to get to zero so i think when we start talking outside of maybe it and security we start to talk about it in a different way because zero doesn't sound great if you start telling people we don't trust you that's not the great great communication um i think we also have to be aware that it wasn't that long ago that you you would get a firewall or, or several firewalls, you would protect your perimeter and you didn't really care about anybody else. You you were safe. It was great. You had a great house alarm and you were you, you were absolutely safe. But we've got supply chains now. We've got third parties. We've got contractors. And I, I like to use the analogy of it's like having a tunnel between all the houses in the street. It's absolutely fine if you've protected your house with a great alarm. But if somebody can use that tunnel, i.e. that supply chain to attack you, then, then you're still in trouble. So for me, we need to start considering everyone around us everyone in that supply chain and we we need to work together more against the, the the attackers the bad guys because like i said it's no longer just about us to protect our environments because the attackers are going to pick on the weakest people you're going to have companies out there that have got millions of pounds or dollars or yen or whatever country you're in and they can invest, they can use whatever technology, they'll go and look at the Gartner Magic Quadrant, they'll pick off the top product or best in class and buy it all, thinking they're protected, and they may well be, but something will come in on the supply chain and they'll be done. Um, Paul, I see you've put your hand up. Yeah, I was, I was just going to build on that, and, and almost a pet peeve of mine is that, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough in my career to have lots of people working for me, and being able to make a, a difference within my organization, you know, so you can sort of turn around with a team of 100 plus and say, we're going to do this. And that works at the top tier of, of companies out there and probably only a couple of hundred out of the global 2000. It's all those other people and it's building on your supply chain. If you talk to 
the lower tier companies out there, those those companies that are not big enough to deal direct with the Microsofts, the Oracles, the AWSs, they're, they're working via reseller services. They go out to resellers and they say, I need some security. And those those resellers are still going, you need a firewall, you need anti-malware, anti and thank you very much, job done. And that really concerns me that we're not educating those resellers out there to actually sell the right stuff and talk about the right issues with those tier two, tier three, tier four companies out there. And you, you uh, raise your hammer. Sure, to build on, on Paul's point, um, I really do agree with you that there has to be some infrastructure at the vendor um, level to help in this journey. And it's also a little bit of trust but verify. So what, for example, I mean, I, I work in the cloud, obviously. Um, what have we done? Right? What has AWS done within the services, within the infrastructure? But that is only a portion of what each customer or enterprise is using. And the smaller the enterprise, the more they are reliant on a whole set of infrastructures and vendors to help them. And it certainly you don't have the team of 100 people behind you who can jump on something and instantly assist. So I think there is a lot of education still necessary out in the industry. But it's also sharing what has been done properly. So mid-tier customers, even large customers, is sharing some of that knowledge in terms of what has worked for them, what's the journey that they've taken, what does this look like? And that really helps sort of the next tier or the next generation of company understand how they can address some of this. And zero trust, as we talked about at the beginning, is a model and a framework. It's part of the journey. But but I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with you slightly there, just to be provocative, if nothing else. Sure you can. Is <laughs> that uh, you know those small smaller companies out there who have you know potentially one person charged with information security, often as a part time job, as part of their wider role, literally are going to the vendors and say. I need some security. What can I buy? That's it. I don't have time to investigate. I don't have time to do all the the research and hard work. What can you sell me? Because my board or my management are on my back to put something in. And that worries me. And and it plays into it it plays into the vendors who are selling you zero trust at the end of the day. You know, buy my solution. We can make it all work for you. Thank you very much. Pay us some money. Job done. If I can pick up on what Paul just said and what Anne just said, and on Jay, just just a second, please, uh, on this one. Uh, I think, again, going back to the principles of security by design and by default and data privacy by design and by default would help quite a lot of these issues with the mid-tier and the small companies. So, for example, even uh, big companies like AWS, Azure, GCP, the, the big ones out there, if you look at their systems, more often than not, they are designed to be easily functional, but the security and data privacy by design by default is not there. Where if it was, everything was locked and you just open exactly what you need to open, I would, I would like to almost bet that the amount of issues that we have seen in the recent, uh, on not so recent past, will be far less, not just in the small, or medium-sized companies, but also the big companies, because um, this struggle between usability and 
GUIs versus shell, uh, easy use of use versus security versus privacy. It's never easy to come by. And you can pick up, for example, on any vendor out there within the infrastructure as a service or software as a service, all of them, if I will not say all, but most of them will be designed to be easy of use and not secured by default. And that is something that we need to change also from the vendor side is having this uh, new approach to things that when you join us, everything is secure for you. Then if you want to open the doors to the enemy, well, that's, that's your choice. Well, it, if I may, to, to, to both, and JSC, your hand is, is raised as well. One of the considerations is that security, design, privacy, et cetera, is really a shared model. It's shared between one and many vendors that you may have, but it really is also based on what the customer wishes to do and back to that use case, which is what is the most important for you as a customer and there has to be some consideration there. I'm not sure we'll ever get to the one size fits all with a vendor that can give you everything that you need and ooh, bye bye, you know, this product will give you a hundred percent. I really do think that that has to be a negotiation and a communication between one and many vendors and also what it is that the customer is really trying to achieve. And of course, I think every vendor out there would like to do as much as possible for the customer and, and understand what it is that they need and want. We may just not be able to solve 100% of it. The customer really does have to come to the table as well. And Jay, you had something? Yeah, I, maybe this is going to be provocative, but and I know we've said that Zero Trust isn't a product, and I, I truly believe it's not a product. But products can help. Um, and we already have a lot of the products that can help already. I mean, we... we we need to start with the fundamentals, as I've said, and building foundations and doing the risk and looking at use cases. But we already have a bunch of products that, if used correctly, could help us move towards zero trust. So why not start there? Well, why not start with what you already have in place? Obviously, create a strategy, look at your risk, do all the things we've talked about, and then start with looking at what you already have paid for, the assets you already have. How far on the journey can they take you before you even need to go out and buy something else. There's no point in just going out to RSA, for instance, and walking around and buying stuff that's saying they're doing zero trust. Look at what you already have. Do you already have IAM? Do you already have a PAM solution? After you've got the basics right, will those tools help you get further towards your goal? Are they going to be the end game? I think we all agree. We don't even know where the end game is. The, the world's constantly changing. But you can at least start the journey and more than likely you already have things that you can utilize so this is doesn't even necessarily need to cost capex or opex you, you should start with the things you've already bought but I, but I think you need to be very critical about what you have in in your inventory um and almost we need to be arming people with the nasty questions to ask um to actually critically assess what we have what we need to get rid of what works because the problem is that you can go down some some very deep rabbit holes picking the wrong picking the wrong legacy solution if you're not careful. I was just picking up on what Jay and Paul just said, but I think if you go to the basics, and again, uh, don't get me wrong, 
zero trust in the end of the day is about the basics. And the basics are always the, the new black, right? Uh, if you always do the basics right between uh, not trusting anything implicitly and you should do proper vulnerability management on all the things that we know that is the basics, you, sh you should have a far better landscape. But still, um, zero trust is not that new. I think the first concept of zero trust was with the Orange Book from the DoD back in 86, if I recall properly. So it's 2023. Well, you do the math, but um, yeah, 40 years in there. Uh, give it a take um, is a long way to still, you know, picking up zero trust as the next new thing along with zero trust AI and all these things and machine learning that now is going to do everything for us. Uh, keep 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 it simple, uh, as Jay said, uh, and Paul and Anne. Um, just do the basics, pick up what you already have, um, make sure that you do it right and properly in the cross. And you should be in a really, really good place. Just to follow on, just from this um, conversation here, and with that question, I think Jay sort of alluded to. It. I, I think from an outside perspective, the, the biggest part is looking at those those things you've already got in place, because nobody, especially you know smaller companies, wants to go bankrupt going buying all the different products and things that could help when they could already help themselves with the things they've got in place, and that's something maybe. I've seen in uh, from talking to other businesses and things. Um, just because we're slowly starting to run out of time, I'll, I'll just ask one of the questions a, a LinkedIn member asked, and they were a more junior member of the community, and they were more uh, interested in seeing, in terms of zero trust, what sort of common threats or the main threats will it mitigate most effectively? And I guess I'll. I'll I'll go to the, whoever raises their hand first. <laughs> Tiago? I think there's quite a few that uh, you will be able to mitigate. Again, if, if you uh, implement zero trust, things like ransomware will be minimized. Uh, account takeovers will be minimized, especially you know, in the time that a lot of companies out there use uh, SaaS platforms. Um, if you implement it properly on your network, having um, also, inside the threads will be minimized, data breach will be minimized. I would say that there is nothing from the threat landscape. Um, maybe the DOS will not be minimized, but everything else that you have on a meter ATT and CK will be minimized with, with zero trust. From inside the threads to external threads to state-sponsored attackers that will take far longer um, I think everything will be uh, minimized in the end of the day. It's again, we're talking about the basics here. Yeah, I mean, the one for me is 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 lateral movement. Um, and if you if you think about it, treat your internal network as if it was the internet. As simple as that. Because at the end of the day, as I used to have to explain to people, if you've got one hundred thirty-seven thousand devices in fifty-five countries, that effectively is the internet, like it or not, from a security posture. So get over it, um, work on the principle that, yeah, what you're protecting against is no different whether I'm on the internet or the intranet, if you have an intranet anymore. And of course, if you're moving to total cloud, then maybe you don't even have an intranet anymore. Um, there are companies out there who have got rid of their intranets and are just moving effectively to putting a home router at their office, or, you know, their office border to the internet. So it keeps the script kiddies out, it keeps the lumps on the internet out, it sort of acts as a quality service border, but it ain't a security border. 
Um, so, you know, think differently. Think about how that enables your business. I mean, if nothing else, you know, taking that approach will save you oodles of money in terms of what you're paying for your, your firewalls and your borders at the moment um, and le probably leave you much more secure. Um, because if we've learned nothing else from the, the pandemic is that actually we could all work from home with our home routers pretty effectively and really securely. Um, so, you know, boards are starting, I've talked to people and boards are starting to asking, well, if it worked for me at home and I was, you told me I was secure during the pandemic, why are we paying all this money for a very expensive internet and all this, all these neat toys at the borders between us and the internet? So... You know, go out, ask the nasty questions before the board asks you the nasty questions. And you wanted to add there. Sure. Actually, building on both what Tiago and Paul indicated, we have to go back to some of the basics. Understand that we've really protected the core of the business, the core of what your use cases are. And ultimately, even if you end up 100% cloud, you still have to make sure that you're entire IAM infrastructure is solid and you still have to protect the edge. Lateral movement, in my personal opinion, is something that I look at even more than just the edge. We're doing pretty well as an industry, you know, making sure the edge is fine. But if internally, for example, um, everything is open to everyone, then the risk is so much higher of inadvertent data access, inadvertent exfiltration. And we do realize that a good part of the issue when it comes to cybersecurity is between the keyboard and the brain. And so this really is back to some of the foundational or fundamental issues, which is how can you help individuals protect themselves from themselves by having some security measures around it and making sure that perhaps you pop up messages every once in a while saying, are you really sure you wanted to do this? You know, are you sure you want to give root access to all these individuals? You know, how have you set up your groups? What does this look like? Are you using rules and roles versus doing one-offs every time you want to give access to someone? And that to me is still in the foundational or the fundamentals. And you don't have to be a big company to do this. It really just requires a little bit of thought process as to who really should be able to access what, and then how do you make sure that you continue that as your business evolves. And Jay, I think you had something, but so did Tiago. So, yeah, yeah. So for, for me, I mean, I want to echo what you've both said, really. And and we need to start treating everyone like they're on the internet because fundamentally we now live in a world where we're not protected by that castle in moat we can't put that nice kind of hard perimeter around ourselves because the data's everywhere the users are everywhere their devices are everywhere and we've kind of started working towards being able to secure people when they're in the cloud funnily enough but when they then come back on prem we're like yeah we trust them let them go everywhere they want um, and the attackers know this so it, it's not difficult for them to shift their their attack vector to, to just attacking people that are internal. Um, and, and I say again, I mean, we need to get the fundamentals right. And if we start to treat everyone like they're on the internet and, and put like a nice hard wrapper around each person, 
then I think we're more likely to to, to make it through the future. We, like I said before on this on this podcast, the old ways of doing things didn't work, and zero trust isn't a new idea. I mean, I'm sure Paul will agree. Uh, it's not new. It's not a new concept. It's not a new strategy, but it's even more important in the world we live in today because of the way things have shifted. We could get away with the kind of firewall hard perimeter when everyone was inside our castle. We need to shift our way of thinking and we need to move towards seeing zero trust as a strategy and, and literally protecting everybody in the right way. Tiago. Just picking up on what Jay said, I think it's something that people need to understand. There is no perimeter for a long time. You're not in the World War One with the world design lines that we passed. We are now in a special operation, very fluid terrain with you cannot trust anything. So if you're still thinking about uh, in terms of securing the perimeter, one, you're not using something that you should use, which is a multi-layered defense in depth. You're just using one line and well, you pass the line everything is gone. Um, but going to the analogy of the military terms that you are now in a very, very fluid environment, there is no perimeter. Stop talking about perimeter when you have thousands of uh, connections to different platforms using APIs and web applications. So let's, let's remove perimeter. But there's something that I would see out there that most companies are not dealing properly, especially during the pandemic which is DNS. And DNS, we not, didn't speak about it in, in this conversation, but having a secure source of DNS, using secure, uh, secure DNS over HTTPS or uh, TLS is key uh, for cloud environments, for users working from home. And then I think it's something that is not yet very well ingrained across the companies. You need to create a very safe DNS. One, because uh, due to my previous experience, I've seen um, gigabytes of traffic coming out using DNS. Maybe someone was just exfiltrating a few gigs from the server using DNS requests. So that's one that you should look at. But also when you're using um, solar routers or home routers um, and you're thinking that you are connecting people using VPNs, you'll be safe. Companies need to be careful around how they really secure this. But I would put uh, DNS security out there is something that uh, companies and people should look at uh, from a very, very urgent thing to look at and to use properly. And on, you want to swap that? And just a, a quick comment, and, and maybe this, this is part of our, our closing. I do believe very strongly that security should be one of your top priorities. You're being customer, but also IT. But it's also about a security culture. We talked a little bit earlier about some of the training. We talked about what this really means in your business and utilizing and leveraging the tools. But I do think that as as we enhance the security culture, not just within companies, but gener in the general population, this will actually enable us to take that journey on zero trust much more quickly and more effectively. Yeah, I, I think that's... a. Uh a good sort of place to leave it if anybody has any sort of final comments but uh, I, I think it's been a very insightful conversation i think a lot of people will um will take an interest in so this has been the evolution exchange podcast i want to take this opportunity to thank jay paul tiago and Anne for all their expert insight 
Um, thank you for listening. If if you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me or email me at morgan.dagnall at evolutionjobs.co.uk and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much.